Welcome to Be A Better Speaker with me, Graham David, expert speaker. These are a series of podcasts ideal for you if you're somebody who works in L&D and training, whether you have to give meetings or briefings, or if you're a conference speaker. And they're ideal if you're brand new and you want some ways to start and get yourself going in the right direction right from the beginning. Perhaps you've been speaking for years and years and years and you just want to freshen up a little bit. Or if you're somewhere in between, everything in these podcasts are designed to give you quick wins to make it easier for you to be a better speaker. I don't know whether you have a formal script that you use when you speak or whether you use notes, whether you perhaps work from your PowerPoint. I know that's very, very popular with a lot of people. Um, Whether you try and make things up as you go along, wing it, as the uh, technical phrase has it. But I'm going to give you four or five key processes and techniques and approaches that I use that allow me to very, 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 very rarely forget what I'm supposed to be saying. Now, in all of the topics I'm going to give you, in all of the subjects I'm going to give you, in ways I'm going to suggest that you will um, be able to not forget what you're about to say, one of the things I'm going to say up front is you need a reasonable level of confidence. Now, that might sound like I'm stating the obvious. If you feel nervous, you're more likely to forget words than uh, if you know what you're saying. But I'm going to say it up front because frequently I know that uh, people, particularly within organisations, are given somebody else's set of slides or they're told to take over, say, an induction training that's been pre-written. Now, I get that. That's far more difficult and it's far more tricky to be confident in that situation. But a high degree of confidence will really help you. See, the problem is the moment that you allow your nerves to start to surface, the moment you become conscious of the fact that you're not feeling very confident, people being people, they will notice that you're not so confident. And on a subconscious level or otherwise, they'll start to wonder, why is that? And as they start to wonder that, then you will start to pick up from them that they know you're not in charge or confident, comfortable with what's going on here. So, really important, wherever possible, what we're trying to do is to come into any speaking situation, whether it's a 10-minute briefing, whether it's a two-day L&D programme, whether it's a half-hour conference speech, Frankly, whether it's a wedding speech or a networking event or some situation socially where you, you're required to say a few words, the confidence thing is so important. So important, in fact, I'm probably going to do a separate podcast on how to increase your levels of confidence. But confidence and knowing your, your words, knowing your script, go absolutely hand in hand. So let's start with some ways in which you can not forget your script. And the first one is all about modulizing what it is you're going to say. Let me explain what I mean. <clears throat> Often when I've worked with clients within organizations, they will talk to me about how long it takes them to put a slide deck together. So I know people that even on a regular monthly presentation will spend an entire day putting the slides together. Now, without stating the obvious, If you have a whole day to put just some slides together for a regular meeting and briefing, you've probably got too much time on your hands or you're probably really having to burn the candle at both ends and neither of these are particularly healthy. So we need to find some ways to avoid this. Now, here's the situation. If you or I both were at an event 
And the organiser came up and said, look, we've got a bit of an issue. Um, one of the speakers has dropped out. I need half an hour on whatever the topic is that's relevant in your industry. Could you help out? I can tell you now that I can right away. Now, I might need a few moments to jot a couple of key ideas down. But one of the ways I can do this is I modulise everything that I say or I speak at. So whether I'm, whether I'm pitching for work, whether I'm um, presenting some, uh, some, some content to some, some colleagues or to, to a client, whether I'm doing a, an entire conference speech, I'm able to, to do this really fast because I modulise everything. Now, what I want you to start thinking about is let's take a half hour conference speech. Rather than when you sit down to start planning that, you plan from scratch, what's the best way to start, what are your opening words, <clears throat> how are you going to um, then progress into your arguments. If you think about that, it's an enormous amount of work. And there's also increasingly the chance that you're going to forget where you are in your speech. So instead, I like to think of everything as blocks. Now, the obvious blocks to start to think about are what you're going to say at the start. Now, if you have to speak regularly on any of the sort of uh, setups that I've explained, then you should be doing this. So have a start module. module. Uh, a start module might simply be who you are, where you're from, and something you say at the start of your speech that you know usually gets people to laugh or to relax or to, <clears throat> or to give you some ideas or whatever it's going to be that's relevant to you and your industry. I have, I don't know, maybe half a dozen different ways of starting a speech. Now, because I've got that, it means that when I start, no matter how nervous I might feel, and I rarely feel nervous, or how high the stakes are, or frankly how hostile the audience, I know I've got a really strong start to what I'm going to be saying. You could do this. You could put something in place, and you never quite know when you're going to need these, and if you need them regularly, you absolutely must have start modules ready. I'd also have some stop modules. So starting is as important, of course, as how you stop. We've all seen those end of conference speeches where the, the, the guy on the stage is, knows he's running over. He knows he's got 37 slides still to show you. He's clicking through them desperately. He knows he's supposed to ask if there's any questions. He knows the audience checked out 20 minutes ago. It's a pretty awful situation. Now, I always have the same structure I use at the end of a speech. And then, actually, it depends on the kinds of speeches or events we're talking about. So it could be the bit in the middle is all of the bit in the middle, so you have to create it from scratch. Or it could be you have three key ideas. Now, my point is, therefore, that rather than sitting down and writing from hello, my name is, from scratch every single time, you've already got that in place. You've already got a strong close in place. Now, this means you can start to work out how much time you've got left for what's in the middle. And if you've got three key arguments or <clears throat> five key tools that you're going to be sharing, you have that ready. Now, the benefit of modules, in addition to making it far, far more likely you're going to remember what to say and in what order, is you can edit on the hoof. So when somebody says, well, that's all very well, but my big concern is... Or when somebody says, actually, there's been a massive change of plan, we're going to have to do that. Or when there's an entire tech fail, whatever happens, and all these things have happened to me, you're ready. You just switch to the next module or you drop a module. You can bring something in. You can announce a break if it's perhaps a long session or the guy in front of you ran over time. You can move very, very fast. So 
That would be the first thing I would suggest. Start to modulize your content. Here's the second one. And I frequently plan these, uh, but I also use them on the hoof. And this is what I like to call a break clause. Now, a break clause <clears throat> uh, is pretty much as it sounds. You're going to give yourself a few moments. And a few moments could be 20 minutes. If it's a, a training day or a couple of days, there might be regular exercises you give your delegates. I'm sure there will be, otherwise they're just listening to you talk. But even in a 15-minute speech, I might build in a 30-45 second break clause. I might have a break clause halfway through a half-hour conference when I ask the delegates to do something. This might be a minute or two minutes long. Let me explain exactly what a break clause is and how it works and why it's so valuable to help you remember your script. Now, I discovered this in 2003. <clears throat> uh, I remember I was speaking to an event and I'd been told that we might get 70 people show up. Now, this was an industry event, um, so there were conferences and events and seminars happening all over the, uh, the sales floor. There was uh, booths everywhere with people pitching for business. And delegates were, were able and free to wander from session to session. Now, I'd gone with quite a provocative title of the piece that I was talking about. It was something like, um, tear up the flip charts, unplug the PowerPoint and throw the trainer to the lions. And this was a learning and development trade show. So you can imagine there was a lot of trainers there. So I put this this uh, this content out or this, this title out and I was just running through some of the approaches that I found very, very helpful when working within L&D. Now, you remember I said they were expected to be about 70 people, or 70 people was the maximum that this, this particular venue would hold. And I came around the corner, and <clears throat> every space had gone, every seat had gone, people were sitting on the floor, people were standing next to the tables. There was a long arc, about three people thick, surrounding the entire space. And uh, we spoke to the organisers later on, and we found out there were something like 250 people shown up. Now, you might imagine, I don't get nervous, I'm pretty confident, but as I looked at this, all of the exercises I was planning to do based on 20 or 30 or 40 or even 70 people were not going to work. There just wasn't the room for them. So I was rapidly re-editing as I walked to the front of the stage. And I remember starting the uh, event as I did, um, very high energy, I got a lot of laughter, a lot of applause, a lot of engagement from the audience, and about three minutes in, I realised I just couldn't breathe. I'd been powering at this with so much energy and so much attack. My mouth was dry. I was desperately needing to take in a few gulps of air. And I had 280 people looking at me. <clears throat> so it came to me in a flash and I said something like, now, before we get into the body of this session, I'm going to give you 45 seconds just with the people around you just to consider what are the biggest difficulties you face when training a room full of people. That's 45 seconds. I will ask for some of your feedback. Get started now. And in that moment, I discovered what I've since called a break clause. It's absolutely fantastic because you can imagine what happens. <clears throat> your audience suddenly all turns to each other and starts chatting. There's an enormous um, flow of energy from the room. Everybody is engaged in the activity I've asked them to do. They know they've only got 45 seconds, so they tear straight into it. And for that 45 seconds, what did I do? Well, I just took a step to one side, 
slowed myself right down, took a few gulps of air, half a bottle of water, I think, went down very, very fast. <clears throat> and at the end of that, that time, that minute, that 45 seconds, I was then able to slightly more calmly say, right, so, where are we? What are some of the things you've been discussing? And that then allowed me to move quite confidently and calmly into my next stage. Break clauses will work all over the place. So they absolutely work at the start of a conference. You can, you can very quickly, if you did your first module about who you are, drop in a break clause along the lines of, before we continue, just review the handouts, or just take a look at this slide, or talk to the person nearest you, or get onto Google and I want you to look something up for me. Pretty much anything you like. But in that moment, the attention is off you. And it allows you just to reset everything in your mind. And crucially, it allows you to check your script. So exercises are great for that. <clears throat> um, you can even do this. I mean, let me give you a, a completely different example. Let's say you're speaking at a wedding and you're only going to be speaking for 10, 15 minutes. You are perhaps very, very nervous. You've been looking forward to or a certain amount of trepidation all morning to this, uh, this point when you have to stand up in front of all the guests and give a speech. And you start speaking, you're literally a minute into it and you realise you can't breathe, your mouth is dry, you can't remember your script. It would be the easiest thing in the world at that stage to say something like, listen, before we get into what I want to say to you today, what a fantastic day it's been. Let's just take a moment to thank and to toast everybody who's made today so very, very lovely. And you start clapping... <clears throat> And everybody else will start clapping as well. People will be shouting here, here and toasting and raising their glasses. You've got that quick 5, 10, 15 seconds just to glance down at your script, see where you are. So break clauses, whether you build them in or they just happen as you need them, are really, really valuable. One thing, if in your modulising your content, that's the first point, you know you've got some parts of content you are less certain about, or some bits that are more contentious, or some bits that maybe you just don't really know what you're going to be saying, it's a really good idea to put a break clause at least in front of them. This allows you then to deliver some content you're very confident about, perhaps something you've used before, or something you know is going to go down really well with the audience. You then run your break clause, and in that moment of break clause, you check the script or your notes for what's coming up, the bit that you're not so confident about. So that's break clauses. Let's move straight on to the next one. The next one is <clears throat> something I used to do years and years ago called a roadmap. Now, a roadmap is um, exactly as it sounds. So when I've used it, I typically get a large piece of flip chart paper and I scrawl on it a nice squiggly map, like a, like a little road. And on the road, using road signs, I make this very graphical, lots of colour, um, nice big chunky writing, chunky pens, you want as many different colours on this as you can. And I'll put just the key title for each of the modules that I'm going to be delivering. So on a training day, one flip chart, a whole day, one flip chart is usually enough. So my start road sign might say intro. And I've already spoken about the fact that I'd have several different versions of intros. So that single word could represent 10, 15, 20 minutes. I might then have a sign that says nightmares. Now, I frequently ask delegates to talk about their worst examples of what it is that the, the topic of the course is, whether it's coaching or mentoring or leadership or um, difficult conversations, whatever the topic is. 
so I have a, a degree of content there. And although the only word is nightmares, it might be a half-hour session. I might then have the word rapport as we then start to talk about everything that uh, revolves around rapport and some exercises and some delivery um, and some ideas from me. Now, when you've got this at the back of the room, and it would quite comfortably work, depends on the, the format of the room, of course. I've used roadmaps with, I don't know, audiences of perhaps 100, 120. And it means you can just glance and know exactly where you are in the session at any time. Now, a few points. If you like this idea, and by the way, if you've not heard of it, you should try it. It's very, very powerful. You really need the roadmap behind the audience in your eyeline. Now, you need it behind the audience in your eyeline for the really obvious reasons that that's where you're looking when you look at the audience. So it allows you to see it and review it without apparently doing anything else. Now, the audience will see it, but because you've only got key module titles or key phrases or key sections that you're running, it doesn't really make a huge amount of sense to them. And frankly, even if they figure out this is what you're using, it doesn't matter. I've extensively tested this with Train the Trainer delegates, and virtually everybody over a two-day program has already worked out what this is by about lunchtime of day one. They start to see where we are in the session. And that's okay. It means that they've got some sense and understanding of how the session's going. This also, alongside the modulizing that we spoke about, allows you to shift very, very fast. You can drop past a road sign if you need to because things are changing on the day. Or you can extend a section if you need to because the audience really get into that piece of work. Now, you can also use roadmaps as small as a piece of A5 paper and... Uh, if ever I speak at a conference where is a, there is a podium, I very, very rarely stand at the podium. I much prefer to wander all over the stage. But the podium is a really good place to have your roadmap. It's quite a natural place to go and stand anyway, just occasionally. So I might have my key idea there. Even if I'm in a boardroom and I'm talking to 15, 20 people on the SLT, uh, sorry, the senior leadership team or the board, it's a good idea to have a roadmap just in front of me as something to glance at. Now, key thought for you. Many years ago, I worked with a lovely chap called Adrian. And Adrian was a client of mine and he saw me using roadmaps and asked what they were and how to use them himself. Adrian uh, used to get very nervous when speaking to his senior managers, so he wanted to use a roadmap. Now, bear in mind, I've already said that for an entire day's conference, I could put an entire roadmap on one flip chart. Adrian had to run a 45-minute section. And his roadmap for 45, min 45 minutes ran to five pages of A4. He had enormous amounts of text on there and script and specific notes he wanted to say. And you know, you know even before I explain it what happened, Three, maybe four times during his just 45 minutes, he completely lost the track of where he was. He was staring and blinking slightly short-sightedly at the back of the room. This was another problem. He hadn't checked it for size of writing and found himself saying, oh, I don't know where I am. I've lost my place. And he ended up looking like those old 1950s actors with the, the, the idiot boards on TV just out, out of the camera shot. That's too much detail. You can't find where you are quickly. So that's my uh, that's my next idea. That's a, that, that one's a real winner if you want to try the roadmap. Um, got a couple more ideas for you. 
This one's going to be slightly contentious, so much so, in fact, I'm going to take a quick sip of my drink. So, <clears throat> you need to consider killing your PowerPoint. Now, I know. I said this is contentious. The reason it's contentious, and I'll give you all the reasons you might be thinking you can't kill your PowerPoint. Number one, it's expected in your organisation. Number two, you don't really read off your PowerPoint. You just glance at it to make sure you're in the right place in your presentation. And um, number three, everybody does PowerPoint. So let's deal with those. Number one, it's expected. Yes, it probably is. And if politically or for your career, it would be bad not to use PowerPoint, then use PowerPoint. But I bet you in most cases, it's more because everybody uses PowerPoint. Uh, number two, you like to check where you are. Yeah, I know you do. And everybody likes to check where they are. But a roadmap is better for that. You see, when you turn around and look at the screen to check where you are, we all look at the screen as well. And if the only thing on the screen is words that you now say, we now know you're just reading the script to us. And if you're just reading the script or the slide to us, I'm really sorry to say this, we don't really need you here because we may as well just read it ourselves. We can read it quicker than you reading it to us. So the problem with slides and checking where you are is that you end up keep being drawn back to the screen. I've seen, I'm sure you've seen people do this yourself. You may have done it yourself. You go, hello, my name's... And then you click to the screen and there's your name and you look at it and make sure, yep, that's my name. This is where I work. And you press the button and there's a picture of where you work. And then you put up a, an organisation chart that shows where everybody is and how everybody fits in and all the different teams and departments right across Europe. Again, all very good if that's what you really want to be doing. But my suspicion is you don't want to be doing that. You want to be able to speak so that we're listening and looking at you. That is what starts to make you help be a better speaker. See, ideally with PowerPoint, it just runs in the background. Now, with certain size audiences, you're probably going to have to have a few slides up. If it's a highly technical piece of content, you're probably going to have some slides up. And frankly, if it's a sales pitch or if it's um, speaking to some very senior people, you're absolutely right. The expectation may be you use PowerPoint. But the PowerPoint has got to be there for the audience. It's got to augment what you're doing and saying. We ought to be able to listen to you, be drawn into what you're saying and the way you're saying it. We ought to be compelled to look at you. And occasionally, we might glance at the screen because you're highlighting a particular issue or you're saying, yeah, this is what happened in the third quarter. So we can then see that as well. But that should be something that underlines and helps your speech. This is about you being a better speaker. This is not about us all sitting in a room and looking at a screen together. This is exactly what happens in those pubs when the TV is on. You've noticed this yourself. If there is a TV on, people all stare at it. In fact, think of all the places you go where in the waiting room they have a television. It does not matter what is on. It doesn't matter how depressing it is. It doesn't even matter whether the sound is on or off. People cannot help but stare at it. And here's the other thing I said... Um, the, the third reason why people use PowerPoint. And here's the other reason why people use PowerPoint. So I pointed out that um, often when I suggest to clients of mine that they might want to consider cutting down PowerPoint or even, horror of horrors, not using PowerPoint at all, the challenge back is often, well, everybody else uses it. 
And you're right, virtually everybody uses PowerPoint. And that is exactly why you should consider not using PowerPoint. You see, if you want to be a better speaker, you must understand that being a better speaker is about you being a better speaker. It's not about your slides or your crazy clothes you wear when you speak or the music you use when you walk on or the venue you speak at or, to a certain extent, even your content. It's about what you do for us to want and need and feel compelled to watch and listen to you. Now, the issue with everybody else uses PowerPoint, so therefore I should, is that you then set yourself up to look and sound like everyone else. See, in the early days of when I was doing this kind of work, I didn't have the money to set up PowerPoint. In fact, I didn't have the money to have a, a PC in those days. I was I used to go down to the library, right, to, to check emails. This was in the days just before the internet really became um, as common as it has become. And in those days, you used to say to people, do you have email, not what's your email address? I used to go down to the library to check my email addresses. And as a result of that, I just didn't have the option to use PowerPoint. But over the years, the number of times, I mean, virtually every time I've spoken pretty much anywhere, somebody has made the point to me they really appreciated that I didn't use PowerPoint. They liked the fact that what I was talking about, whatever the topic, whether it's a training session or a conference, was me speaking with them. And it felt two-way, and it felt interactive, and it felt engaging. So the very fact that you choose not to use PowerPoint will make you stand out. And I'm sorry if this comes as news to you, but if you want to be a better speaker, then you're going to have to stand out. If you look at all the evidence, you're the one person stood at that front of the room and everyone else is looking at you. Everyone else is looking in one way, you're looking the other. You're the one person in the room looking the wrong direction. You may be lit up, you may have microphones on you, you may have your name and a great big screen behind your back. So you are going to stand out. So if you're going to stand out, why not stand out properly? Drop the PowerPoint and just give it a go, see how it goes. You'll have far more flexibility as you're speaking, and it's far easier, particularly when we're talking about the things I've spoken about so far, modulising your content, putting break clauses in, using the roadmap. You have far more ability to switch and move and react to what's happening in the session. All right, let's look at a, a last couple of points that um, I'm going to help you with here, just to make sure you've always got your script to hand. And this one... Um, is, is kind of an interesting one, but I've, I found it's very, very helpful. I like to wander about quite a lot when I'm speaking. So I walk all over the stage, if it's a conference, um, if it's a training session, then I I'll, might use the entire room. And what can happen is sometimes you find yourself in the wrong part of the room, well away from your script. So if it's some new content or if it's a highly uh, stressful presentation for you, you might want to consider more than one version. I've spoken about the roadmap. That's a good fail-safe at the back of the room. But key points or key notes or key uh, talking points or even the script itself at the two or three key places around the room that you might use is a really good idea. And one of the things that I'll often do um, is I'll make sure my script is... I gave you an example earlier and I put it perhaps on the podium as something that I'm able to check as and when I need to. But what I can do with that then is to 
use the bottle of water trick. The bottle of water trick is brilliant and I thoroughly recommend it. Here's what you do. You put a small bottle of water next to a glass next to your script. Now before you start speaking you undo the lid and then you put the lid back on. Now the reason for that I'll explain in just a moment. So you're into your event, you're speaking and everything's going very nicely but there comes a point when you're either not sure of what the next module is uh, or maybe you just want to check the details because you want to make sure you're covering everything. Uh, perhaps there's a key point that your boss has asked you to mention. So you get yourself over to where the water is. Now what you're actually doing is as you pick up the bottle of water, you're looking down at where your script is. You're then going to undo the lid. Now the reason the lid is still on there is it gives you a few more seconds. Quite naturally, as you undo the lid, whilst you're still looking at the script. I said to you earlier, you take the lid off and you put it back on. Why do you do that? Well, at moments of high stress, you may find your hands get a little bit slippery. Sometimes those bottle lids might be a little bit tight. You don't want to be doing that in front of everybody. So the reason the lid is on there is purely to buy you a few more seconds as you undo it. Then, as you pour the water into the glass, again, why do you have a glass? Why don't you just drink from the bottle? Well, partly it looks more elegant, but partly, quite naturally, you have a bit of a break here as you pour the water. Now, unless it's going really very badly, and I'm sure it won't be, your audience is not going to begrudge you a few moments as you pour yourself a glass of water. You then, of course, replace the lid, put the, the, the bottle down, and in all that time, you've been able to stare at your notes and script quite naturally and have a look at check where you are, make sure you're in the right place. You take your water, which, by the way, also helps you to breathe in the right place, put the glass down, and then continue where you are. That single technique i found has helped me many, many times. Let's now get on to the last technique I want to share with you, and this is actually a version of the break clause. Um, and I'm going to explain it as when everything goes wrong. You know that time when you completely forget not just your script, but also what day of the week it is, what your name is, and why all these people are looking at you. That does occasionally happen. That's most people's biggest, biggest fear of being on stage in front of a large number of people. So the if it all goes wrong, the nuclear option, what do you do? Well, what you're going to do is a version of the break clause. So let's say you're halfway through some content and the moment happens. I have no idea where I am, who I am or what I'm doing. So you take a moment. If the glass of water trick doesn't help you, if the roadmap doesn't help you, if any of those things don't help you, what you do is you say, wow, are you aware of quite how much we've covered so far? We're really moving at pace to ensure that we all are traveling at the same place at the same time. Just take a moment, take a minute with the people on your table, with the people nearest you, whatever the format is. Take a moment and just talk through the key learning points of what we've been talking about so far. Then I'll take a bit of a flavor of what we've been talking about and we'll push on. But just take a minute, please, right now before we go any further. Now that's my nuclear option, fail-safe break clause. Any time your mind goes blank, you drop that in. The interesting thing is, on the occasions when I've used it, the audience not only don't notice, but they also really appreciate the time just to stop and consider and think about how far have we got, what do we like, what don't we like, what do we want to challenge. By the way, you can only do that if you've already delivered some content, if you're 10, 15 minutes in. If you've literally walked out and said, hello, my name's Graham, 
wow, haven't we covered a lot so far? Take a minute. It's not going to work. So you need to ensure you're a little bit into the content before you do that. And that's it. Those are my key tips to remember your script, your presentation. So confidence, absolutely key to this. The more time you have to check your script before you get into it, the better. And confidence will happen the better you know your script. And the better you know your script, the more confident you will feel. Those two go hand in hand. But please remember, start to think about modulizing your script. Start using break clauses. Plan for them, but also have them ready at your fingertips as and when you need them. Consider using a roadmap, whether it's the back of the room or whether it's something that you have right in front of you or the podium, as I sometimes use it. Uh, really, really give some thought to not using PowerPoint or dramatically cutting down PowerPoints so you're not able just to, to lean on it to use these other processes I've talked about. Get your script set up, dot it around the room where you need it, put a bottle of water next to your script so you've got that little technique and when it all goes wrong, you've got the nuclear option. And that's it. Those are my key ways to ensure that I don't forget my script when I'm speaking. That's the Be A Better Speaker podcast with me, Graham David, expert speaker. Sponsored by bluebeetle.co.uk and grahamdavid.co.uk.